Hi, everybody. I'm Ruve Sinclair. Hi, I'm Denise Bowles with the sirens behind me. <laughs> New York City. New York City life. Well, we're here to help you do, do that. that. So thank you for joining us today. We are winding down 2023 and we've got got a few things that we want to share with you and hopefully they'll resonate with you and build you up. So, all right, let's dive in. We always start with doula skills. So let's talk about the lifestyle of being a doula. Mm -hmm. Okay, let me, okay, I forgot just that fast. Oh, I have to read something to y'all. Okay, so we were, you know, we spend time in in social media places and there was a post that was, you know, it was really helpful, I think, to make us remember we're, you know, veterans in the birth space to help us remember what it might be like to be outside of the birth world and be an aspiring doula and like, how do you make these decisions? It can be kind of tough to know. So here's the post. Someone posted that they're an aspiring birth doula but they're having doubts that the schedule will work with their life. Uh, They are a mom to to a five and three-year-old and they don't have a ton of support um, in order to like step in at any time to care for their children while they're at work. So they say that they're very passionate about birth work, but not sure that the on-call nature would be the right fit for them. Uh, They would love to hear from doulas out there um, that were moms to little ones when they were dueling how to manage it and make it all work. Um, The other question was, how stressful is it to make it all work? And she thanked us in advance for our comments. So there are a couple of comments. I I haven't read the comments, but I know we have our own commentary. So what are your initial thoughts when you hear this about an aspiring birth doula who's a single mom to two um, little kids under the age of five? As you know, I'm a single mom. I'm an empty nester now. Um, and uh, raising Jordan uh, back in in my, I had him at 26. So raising him all that time, there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of stress as a single parent because you are playing the role of multiple people, multiple things all at the same time. There's a lot happening. And then to have someone else come in and say, hey, I need you. I need you. I'm, on, I'm in labor now. I need you to come. You have really have to have an excellent team behind you. Um, I was very fortunate. My parents were amazing backup people for the things that I wanted to do, like go back to school, change jobs. I was able to do that because I had that support, but it is a lot of stress. And I don't know if adding on the stress of being on call is really going to enhance the quality of life for that single parent family. Yeah, I know. So I was reading this and I'm like, ooh, five-year-old, three-year-old. You're on your own and you don't have a lot of like community or family support around you. Okay. So the, the doula trainer in me says, work that out first, like before you become a doula, what I really would love for you to do is to address the net, the netting that you need, like the safety net and community that you would need to be able to leave on a dime. Um, so figure out, is there that neighbor, that girlfriend, that, um, childcare provider, some places they do provide daycare 24 hours a day for like perinatal health workers, nurses, doulas, and things you can find that in your community. Great. Work out what it might cost, how you're going to pay that, like how that will come out of your, your, like your birth fee or whatnot, but think about 
creating that uh, that net before you get started doing this work. Um, yeah, because I immediately thought, well, what is she going to do when she gets up, like when they get the 2 a.m. call and you have to move very quickly. Yep. You really have to have a plan for who's going to um, assume care for your children. Or, or some type of a child care co-op where there's another single mom on your block that you guys can get together and take care of the kids together. I know two doulas right now, they live, they bought a house together and they're helping each other raise each other's children. And they have a very thriving doula practice in North Carolina. They're doing very well because while one is out, the other one is at home holding down the fort with the kids. Yeah. So it's, you know, that kind of situation is helpful, but um, anything else is going to be a lot stressful. So getting your skills of other avenues of birth work during the daytime when the kids are in day school or preschool, um, getting your childbirth ed certification, lactation certification, um, there's other skills that you can get and, and, and do that work until the kids are older and more uh, independent. Um, but just remember, the older they are, the more you've got to watch because now you've got to watch their friends. Ooh, yeah. See, yeah, only a mama would know that, right? Like, <laughs> not a tip I could give. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's a couple of things to consider. So you spoke to creating what doesn't exist. So if the idea of um, a, a 24-hour daycare or that, you know, a, a, like a daycare provider that caters to... Uh, birth workers, if that doesn't exist, create what doesn't exist, create what you need. But hopefully this will help you identify some of the things that you need, make a whole list of the things that you need um, to get the work done and make sure you establish it. But also, as Denise said, I really love the idea of looking at birth work in a broader perspective, like what are all the things that birthing and postpartum families need? And they do need lactation support. That is something you can schedule. Those are things you can pursue from home virtually and all of that, maybe going into lactation or what about um, childbirth education? You can take your doula training, which will help you get an overview of like the whole process of birth and postpartum, but then go forward and get more formal training where you can work with parents and get to know them and really be in the world growing your your education business. And then if you decide you want to actually activate the birth doula credential and do the work, then you can do that once, once they do get all into full-time uh, school. Maybe that's when you can um, be more flexible uh, or when you build community, when you have a bigger community network. But I do think that there are so many things around birthing and postpartum bodies that you can consider. Maybe you can do meals, meal prep. There's a lot of services that you can do that help you stay in this world and swim in this world very well and support a, be supportive of families without taxing you. Because the other thing that I thought was, wow, at, as a single mom, you're serving your five-year-old, your three-year-old all day, and then you'll go into doula work where it's, you, you're, it's pulling on your intuition, on your energy, on your knowledge, but it's like all consuming for that period of time, like for that birth space. So I just thought in terms of like your physical health and your mental health, it birth work might be a little hard to manage. So perhaps you do consider postpartum doula training, right? Because it is something that's scheduled. It can be regular. It can be um, incremental. It can be something more predictable. So you can figure out how you can do the work and when your children are um, with a scheduled care provider. So yeah, there's, there's a growing business in nutrition and, and even meal prepping for families. Yeah. Or if you have any skills around um, like yoga or fitness. There you go. 
or any of that, like all of that, those um, skills translate very well into the parenting space. Um, mm -hmm. If you are a former educator, <laughs> you know, early childhood development, like any of that, if you're an artist and um, like doing art therapy, like there's a lot of things um, that are like parenting, family development adjacent that might allow you to schedule and not be so taxing. Also, right. you can just decide to do birth work and you only do one birth a month or one birth every other month. So you don't have to be so heavy and frequent. The poster did not say that they need to replace their income or that they no, need to, to rely on. So I think some of these recommendations are like making assumptions that they like need to do it big. You don't have to do it big. You can do it, like put your toe in it. I also, I also think if you do birth work, consider, is there an agency in your area um, where you can right. have built right. in backup and there's right. some flexibility and some understanding like tag teaming, people definitely have tag uh, teams. And um, so the families know it could be her or it could be him coming to be your doula. So like that flexibility built in, some people build their um, birth doula practices as partnerships so right. that they do alternate and they can schedule. So you have, there's definitely some options. Good options. Good options. Okay. So we covered that. All right. Uh, the next thing I think we want to cover is the birth worker business tip. Oh yeah. We heard, okay. we, heard the, we heard the B word here in that the other day, on a social media post B word for bartering. Yeah. Okay. So when Denise brought this up, I saw the post and I'm like, barter, I haven't heard that in so long. No. So I, I feel like when I became a doula 20 years ago, uh, <laughs> people did barter because families didn't necessarily have money for what seemed like something, a really new expense. Um, but tell me, what is your experience? Share it with us what your experience with bartering is or your thoughts around it. Not very much with bartering. Um, for me, it has not happened as much here in New York City. Um, you know, unless I, unless I hook up with the massage therapist, a plumber, a carpenter, an electrician, an auto mechanic, something really, or a pet veterinarian, um, then you could barter. But you also have to think about what, what expertise are they in? Do they have their own business or are they working for someone else? There's very little they can barter with you if, they, if they're working for somebody else, um, because now that expense becomes the other person's too. So bartering is, is not as much here. It really and truly isn't. What we do have here a lot is paying uh, doula services off in installment payments. Okay. Okay. I see that. I see that a lot here as well. I would say, um, I used to hear people barter. So like if they lived in a rural area, they would be the birth doula for the family. And if they that family was, if they were farmers or if they made some kind of food- sure product, they would pay them in that food product, which is, it could be very valuable. Oh yes. um, So yeah, exchanging services. I think you would sign, you would set up your contract very much the same and just be very specific about who's giving what and when and how much and when are, when have we like completed the, the exchange? Please have an agreement. Please have an accord. Please have something in writing in case something falls through or something happens to one of the families please make sure you have something documented. Yeah, okay, so here's the thing. You can have a verbal agreement, but when things fall apart, and I'm using the word when, because it's not 
it happens. Okay. So that's not an if, but when things fall apart, you want to make sure you are clear about what everyone was supposed to give in the, in the agreement. And so just writing it down is super, super helpful. So I, I'm, you know, I'm always going to endorse contracts. I think people definitely should do that. Um, I also want to just talk through this idea of exchange. Yes. So the a definition of a contract is when you are exchanging a thing of value. Okay. So one, it has to be something that has value um, that everybody can see very clearly. This is something valuable and it has to be an exchange. The exchange word is really important. So it's an exchange of a thing of value. Okay. So here's what happens typically if we're doing birth doula work, even postpartum work, people give us money up front and they sign a contract and then we wait. The problem with the wait is we have an exchange. That's so right. in that wait, there is some opportunity for people to say, oh, I don't want to do this anymore, or they want to cancel or whatnot. And I know everybody has these non-refundable clauses in their contract, which I will tell you can be challenged. Everybody, because you're so secure in those, but they can be challenged if you haven't done this exchange. So I remember years ago, um, people were starting to have trouble with PayPal. Families were paying with PayPal. And then going to PayPal and asking for their refund. And PayPal is very consumer, very customer friendly. And so they were giving these refunds back and birth workers were like, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. And what was the issue? The issue part of it was these families had paid and services hadn't been rendered yet because the birth hadn't happened or the postpartum doula work hadn't happened yet. And so they could back out. PayPal was like, oh, they haven't gotten anything. They gave you money and you didn't service them yet. So they can get their money back because they haven't gotten anything yet. So there became this practice. And so for those who are a little bit newer, probably totally missed this on the social media platforms or weren't around for it yet, you need to give them something. You need to engage with them. You need to get the service. Like, let's get this party started, okay? I literally have an email that goes out within 24 hours of a deposit and a signed contract coming to me. And it's called Let's Get Started. And so it is, and it's predicated, it really initiated because of this experience of PayPal. The other, uh, the other financial institution I know will give money back is American Express. So oh, yeah. I don't take American Express payments. I don't take PayPal payments because they are very consumer friendly, which can be good for some folk and not necessarily good for you as a business owner. But the main thing about this particular point is make sure that you start services ASAP and you exchange something, a thing of value, right? So I know we're going into it thinking it's the birth doula support or it's the postpartum doula support, which yeah, it is. But you know what you can do right away is get them some PDFs, some some teachable, some teaching documents. You can get on a call, a Zoom call, a telephone call, a Voxer call, something. And Google start, Drive, put them in. Yeah, put them in a Google Drive, but you can get them on a call for a prenatal. Start talking through their birth preferences. Start talking through how has the pregnancy been so far. Intake, intake. Yeah, go ahead and make sure you're documenting that you're making connections, that you're prenatal and you want to do that. I mean, I'm, I'm saying this in a technical way. You want to do this anyway to build the relationship. But when you wait, you actually risk not having that exchange of a thing of value and the contract actually not being completed. So, so think about how you're onboarding folks. And cause this is a, this tip is a CYA tip. It's a cover your ass tip. It really is. And you know, you may be busy with birds. You may like me have back-to-back birds. Meanwhile, a client just signed your contract and sent over the deposit. 
Cha-ching. Hey, that's great. But I've been stuck at a birth for the past two days. Well, as tired as you are when you get home, make sure you onboard that client and you get connected with them. You let them know that their deposit was received. And here's the onboarding materials for you to be my client. Make sure that you initiate that as soon as you can. Yeah, give them the next step so that they can start looking through things, reading things. Uh, give them some email or resources. So guess what? The fact that they signed the contract is not a surprise to you. You interviewed with them, didn't you? You gave, you gave them access to the contract so you know it's coming. So let's go ahead and manifest. Let's use our manifesting energy and manifest that they're going to say yes. Get ready for them. Go ahead yeah. and set up the email with all the links and a welcome packet if that's what you have, or even just say welcome. I'm so excited to get started. Here are the next steps. Here's a link to scheduling our first prenatal. There you Do go. Something to kind of get to dive in um, and have it set so that if you are busy in a birth, like what Denise just described, when you get home, all you have to do is pull up your email, go into your drafts, make sure their email address is correct, make sure the email is, you know, totally um, complete and hit send <laughs> and then go to bed, right? And go sleep it off and get ready. But definitely do not leave that person who gave you a nice deposit. Do not leave them hanging. Yeah, don't do it. Um, it feels good to have that responsiveness. Like when they pay, they're, you know, they're excited and probably a little nervous. So when they actually get a response from you right away, it's like, oh my gosh, she's on it. They're on it. <laughs> okay. That you like, you kind of like solidify their decision. Right. They made a, they made a really good decision because their birth worker that they hired is going to be responsive. So, um, okay. all right. So there's that wanting to make sure that people are understanding that you need to do an exchange and it's, it can be really helpful to do it quickly. Um, right. All right. Okay. So, uh, birth worker excellence. So one of the things, uh Oh, see, here I go child talking. I got to get ready. Uh, one of the things that we, um, saw, and I think both between the two of us, we're like, is it birth worker excellence? Okay. So <laughs> it's a thing. It's a thing that we definitely wanted to make sure we covered. So we saw an article, some research that re recently came out, um, about virtual doula support, reducing the need for C-sections by 60%. Right. Of course, that's amazing news. Nobody's doubting that. Not at all. But part of um, one of the things that we're wondering is, you know, we are Black birth workers. We know the Black maternal health crisis is front and center for a lot of us. How does that impact Black folks? How is that, in fact, impacting the folks that we serve? And there was a statistic um, I will link this article um, in the show notes, but there was a statistic that said it had a higher than expected impact on uh, Black women. And mm -hmm. so there's a pause <laughs> that I have to take whenever we talk about virtual doula work and how effective it is. Right. Because having done in-person doula work for 22 years, I'm like, virtual doula work is hard. It's very hard. Who's, do, who's out here doing this? This is actually kind of a new-ish thing. So who's doing this? And what I see uh, from all this mentoring, all this conversating, is that a word? All these conversations, <laughs> it's not a word. That's a jail word. Uh, all these conversations, I, I learned that as a public defender. Uh, but uh, all these conversations with birth workers, 
that a lot of the folks who are doing virtual work are, you know, new, new, fairly new doulas and don't have as much in-person experience as I personally think people need in order to do virtual doula work very well. I agree. I okay. totally agree. You know, virtual doula work to me, um, the energy that you're projecting is because you have to now project your energy into a space that you're not physically there for. You also have to really hone in on your five senses of assessment. What are you seeing on that video cam? What are you hearing? What does they, what, 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 what are you saying back in response to them? And what is the overall appearance of the environment? So you're using a lot of your five senses in the assessment skills. What's happening with the nurse? What is, what is her body cues saying? So as a social worker trained, I'm using a lot of my skills when I'm doing virtual doula work. And I notice, you know, a lot of things, but mom's blood pressure is up. We get on the video cam and her shoulders are up to her ears. And as I'm slowly talking to her, those shoulders are slowly coming down and she's relaxing and her blood pressure is going down and her contractions are more manageable. You have to have assessment skills uh, for me over 150 births to really come out and say that I can walk into a room and just off of my five senses, I can assess what's going on in that environment. And I can tell you where that mom's stage of labor is. That's virtual doula work. You are really projecting a lot of your energy there. Now, quickly, I'll say this and let uh, Reve have a turn. Back a couple of years ago in the pandemic, Donna did a conference and had some virtual doulas present. And these virtual doulas have been virtual dueling for a long time when pre-pandemic virtual doula work was kind of poo-pooed. Oh no, you have to be in person to do that. You really can't do that virtually. These virtual doulas came on the scene and they were like, uh, nope, nope, nope. I'm virtual dueling in Hawaii. I'm virtual dueling in England. I'm virtual dueling in, in rural communities. And it it's a very successful business for them. And they were doing this before it became chic with the pandemic. So virtual doula work is a lot of work. It's hard work. It's a lot of assessment, a lot of communication. You have to make sure your technology is on board. The parents have to be on board to really engage with you and promote this and keep the, keep the communication going in the bird space. The facility has to be okay with it because they very well, very well may not be. So virtual doula work is very, very interesting. And what I found out about this article that Reve turned me on to, the author gave Penny Simpkin a lot of kudos, but Penny Simpkin really wasn't a big fan of virtual doula work. So I thought the irony of that was pretty funny to me, but virtual doula work really jumped off with the pandemic. But pre-pandemic, virtual doula work was almost a taboo word to say. Absolutely. Like it was, I remember people trying to like, capture the concept while we were shut while the, uh, you know, the world was shutting down and putting up makeshift trainings and things like that like you know having thousands of people on a call just trying to figure out how do you do it okay so here here's my read on it virtual doula you're absolutely right denise you have to project yourself into the space yeah. here's what i know is happening people are not constantly connected so you know that i that concept of i'm going to be your doula and i'm going to give you continuous support well, that doesn't end because you're on, you know, using a device that exists, that still exists. Most folk ain't doing it. So they're not even, they're no, so the brokenness is there already. So it's a disruption, I would say, and it can be, create a barrier 
to understanding what's happening all along the way. You don't have a full picture. The beauty of continuous support is as a birth doula, you have can, you have the full picture. You have a fuller picture than the doctor, the nurse, anybody, because you are that con consistent presence. So you are the continuity from generally from home. Even if you did, weren't in the home, you know what happens. You know, they were vomiting. They lost a lot of fluids. Yes, they need IV right now. Like you have a sense of what's going on. When you do virtual doula work, a lot of people are disrupting it and they're like coming on and off the phone. And sometimes people aren't even answering these devices. Sometimes these devices aren't even charged. Sometimes um, people who didn't really even want them to have the birthing person have a doula, they use this opportunity to disrupt and make sure the devices aren't available. Sometimes you, the devices aren't turned into the direction that you need. So here's the thing. You want to know what like is the what's the vibe of the nurse? Well, you got to be able to see them or like observe them. They usually are trying to run away from the camera. You um, you want to know like what the partners are feeling, what, what the birthing person is feeling. Well, I do that by vibe check, but also looking in their eyes. It's hard sometimes when you have these devices. So the biggest skill that I think is missing, and I love that you gave a number like a 150, because that quantifies it for folk. That's how much you need to be uh, in a hospital space or continuously in a birth center space. Because if I've been in one hospital at this point, 800 plus births, I, I know that I know what's in the room. I don't necessarily know where it is, but I know the basic equipment that's in a room. So I can actually tell a partner, okay, there's a drawer. There's going to be a drawer somewhere. And I don't know if it's going to be in the rolling on wheels or if it's going to be in a built-in, but there's going to be some pads. There's going to be a toothbrush. There's going to be, I can say what I know. All right. And no. so I also have enough experience that I can anticipate the needs. Oh, that's what happened. Okay. So they're out there thinking, blah, 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 get ready because they're probably going to come in and start having a conversation about this. I am anticipating things to help the families get ready because now I'm trying to hurry up and have a conversation before the staff comes in, before the vibe changes. I'm trying to prep them on what they're going to say, because now I can't do the advocacy in the way that I could if I was in person. So I have to equip them. I also have to rely on somebody else to do the physicality of the work. So I'm like, remember we practiced this? Remember you tried this? Okay, this is a good time to try this. Oh, can you turn the camera? Um, sometimes the, the rooms, they, they actually block your signal. So it's hard for you to actually have visual and audio. There's a lot of tech stuff that can happen. And so you have to prep them. You have to prep the partner for the physical stuff. And sometimes, guess what? You, you're actually in your space. You're also navigating all the noise and stuff in your own space. Right. Trying right. to stay you know, stable, stay plugged in, stay consistent and connected. Virtual doula work is not easy when you are not when you're not seasoned, it can be really challenging. So let's let's pause here for a minute. Um, let's toggle back because of time. I want to do some closing thoughts here. Just give us a second. Oh my God. Okay, we're back. All right. So <laughs> I, I wanted to make sure that we hit on the topic of like pricing for virtual doulas services, but also training. Um, so I have heard, and it like feels like a little to me, um, about people charging the same amount for virtual doula support as they do for in-person. Oh, Lord. Doula support. Now, listen, 
I know I literally just said how hard it is <laughs> to project yourself into the birth space. I know I just said that. Oh. However, I also said you have to rely on somebody else to do physical comfort measures. You have to rely on somebody else that's actually in that room to do the communication with you, to make sure all the devices are charged, that you have the right like little stands to turn like the little neck, goosenecks and stuff. Like you have to rely on other people to do the work that you would normally do. So there's some part of me that feels like it doesn't feel right to charge the exact amount, same amount, that I would charge in person because other people are doing my work. Mm -hmm. I also think about, um, so I know the argument is, well, I have to be, um, you know, I have to keep my schedule open. I have to be on call for the same amount of time. And so it's the same. Well, we just talked about like, there's a lot of ways it's not the same because you're literally not doing the same thing. Um, so I am a fan of it not being the same price as if you were doing in-person support in some ways, I would encourage more people to have virtual doula support, which this research says it's effective. But I also think it acknowledges a lot of the work, the heavy lifting that you're not doing um, in the space. I don't know if you have something to share around pricing. Yeah, you know, it's, it's once again, it's going to also um, come on experience because I'm sorry, you know, for these younger doulas, but you have to put in the time of being hands-on and doing birth work and birthing spaces. So like Reve said earlier, you can direct families to something in the that might be in the bathroom. You can direct families a certain way. If you've never been in a birth room, then it's very hard for you to do that virtual work. Also to the assessment skills, this is a practice. I call doula work a practice. Every birth, you're learning something. And for you to be able to walk into that birthing space look at the environment and be able to make that call on where that person is in their labor. Where is this baby? How is this father reacting? How is the nurse maintaining the room? What's the environment here in this department? All of those things come with experience and hands-on assessment skills. Your assessment skills, body cues, what's being said, what's not being said. How disheveled is this room? Um, how's the mom in the bed? Is she like all slunched down in the bed or or is she sitting up and she's has her refreshments and that is, she's being cared for? So there's a lot of things to be looked at here. And I'm sorry, but newer doulas, you have to put in the time in order for your practice to be honed. You really do. Reve has over 800 births. I've been doing this now going into my 10th year now. I have 287 births, okay? So it takes time to really get in there and assess what's happening. And you can't do that with, if you don't have enough skills. So charging the same thing like you would for an in-person, uh, no, I, I, I think, I think that's not, that's not fair. That, that, that doesn't make sense to me. Now here's the beauty. People can do whatever they want. It's their business. You can do whatever right? you want to do. do but whatever. guess what? I get to have an opinion and I got a podcast so I can say what I want to say, right? Because <laughs> here's the thing. Do that. Doula that. Doula that, okay. <laughs> but here's the thing. Somebody else has to be your eyes and ears. You're not doing the same level of work. And so right. I think just to make it more accessible, I think a lower price makes sense because also people have to make sure they have these devices and all the cords and the goosenecks and stuff. Like they're making an investment right. in order to have this a virtual doula support. So 
price what you want, <laughs> whatever. But I definitely have an opinion that I don't think you're doing the same level of work. I do think you have to work harder on the prenatal side to make sure that there's a tech rehearsal. So I, I, also, I always do that with my virtual doula clients. So I'm like, what are you going to use? Oh, you're going to use that? Let's, let's use it right now. Hang up with me. If you're going to do Google Duo. Try it out. Let's time, try it out. Sure. I want you to see how it looks. And if you have a, um, you know, some kind of like stand or arm or leverage that you're using, uh, then put it, let's try it. That's when we learn, learn, oh, the button doesn't work. Or, oh, it used to work. Some, oh, somebody, that the other kid broke it. In the meantime, and you didn't realize that, yeah, let's work out the kinks. So we don't have any of these surprises when we're trying to use the equipment, you know, when we get in the hospital. So even like comfort measures, I actually um, do the comfort measures using one of the devices, right? Because I've got to practice how to coach them into these different positions. They've got, the partner has to practice like helping me see and visualize while they actually have to do it. So one of the other things I'm very open to is even though you chose me as your virtual doula, I might identify a birth worker in their city where they are to do the comfort measures uh, session in person. There you go. Because there's nothing, we all know that it, it, it's a different sensibility when somebody's helping you learn how to do the double hip squeeze, a counter pressure, or using, you know, sheets or towels or blankets or a rebozo or something like that, or really proper assessment of like if the birth ball is the right uh, fill for them, if it's big enough or too big for, for them. So I like to, so I'm willing to pay a birth worker who's local, who will come and do that in person, comfort measures while I'm on the technology. So we get it all done in the rehearsal at one time. I also am a big fan of having someone who, see, giving away stuff for free here on this podcast, but I just think okay. it's a responsible thing to do. I also think that it, you should um, have someone who is at the ready in the event that you actually need somebody to look at your client, like hands-on, uh, some other birth worker, it could even be a childbirth educator if they literally just don't have doulas in the area, like just somebody who can physically show up and be supportive because things happen if there is a loss. Yeah. And, you know, not for nothing. When the pandemic first jumped off and New York was the epicenter of everything, I found myself in a virtual doula situation that I didn't ask for. My client we labored in the back of the parking lot because they weren't allowing partners nor doulas in. These moms had to birth alone, okay? So we labored, we got her to active labor, we got her to pushing. And when that baby started to crown, we pushed her into the hospital lobby and they took her upstairs and she gave birth. Now, she kept her cell phone on, the nurses upstairs bought into it and really supported that to happen. So I say all of this to say to you, the team in the labor and delivery department also has to really support this endeavor. Otherwise, it's going to be very difficult. They knew we weren't there trying to videotape anything because videotaping is prohibited, okay, in these labor and delivery At that hospital. Mm -hmm. at, that, at that hospital. Many hospitals, believe it or not, they do, they do not go for that for their reasons, but they really supported us. And keeping the phones on so we could stay connected to this mom and her husband could stay supported to his wife and his new baby being born. And it worked out very well. We didn't plan for this virtual situation to turn out that way, but it did. But it was successful because the labor and delivery team also supported it. Yeah, that's the other part. Like if it's part of the birth plan, then they can go into it having conversations with their provider. Are they on board with this? And then when you check in, there's a, you know, a way 
again, I probably should just do a class on this because you have a way that you need to introduce yourself to the staff and understand what their boundaries are, limits or comfort level with the technology, with them being in a camera and on, you know, everybody has different boundaries. And so you have to assess it. You can't assess it until you're in the moment. Um, But just to wrap up the idea about having an in-town support person in case something goes wrong, if there is a loss, you will be at a loss on virtuals, (laughs) uh, on a camera. Right. Folks need somebody in that space. And so being prepared for all the possibilities when you're taking on virtual doula support is important. Now, I might've just given you a couple of reasons why you should have your price higher, right? Because if I got to have an in-town person kind of on call or in-town person who might, I have to pay people, right? Or somebody to do comfort measures, but do whatever you want. I just think it's a um, virtual work can be really powerful. I think it's obviously important. And sometimes it's what we have to do. Um, We may not be facing another pandemic, but Maybe we have to flip to virtual doula support because you're out of town and the mom had the baby at week 30 and you're like, whoa, 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 wait, let me, there you go. You might have to pivot very quickly. I think it can be a valuable tool, um, but I think it requires like formal training. So um, I I I don't know. Do you know of any like trainings, like virtual doula trainings that you can call out off, off the top of your head? Um, there's there's some who are out here doing it. Um, there's some agencies that are out here doing it. I don't know if they're doing it as hard as they were in the pandemic, mm-hmm. but that is definitely something that the major organizations, doula certifying organizations need to look into because we're all one step away from a catastrophic incident. Whether the mom has COVID or something is happening or there's some other extraneous reason why the hospital is shut down, terrorist activity, Hmm. baby has been taken. There's so many things that you would want to have that situation happen. And as Rave said earlier, preterm labor, mom goes into labor 29 weeks. Well, I'm not really on call for this mom, really. Technically, I'm not really supposed to be around until 36 weeks. Well, here we are several weeks early and I'm not even in the state right now. Right. So, and your backup doula is prepared for birth to happen at that same time interval. Correct. It might not be available either. Correct. So having a virtual clause in your contract is helpful. Understanding the support, making sure the partner is okay with all this. It's a lot of responsibility to put on the partner for the phone hookup and keeping the, the communication engagement open. There's a lot of factors at play with virtual work and it does take skill. That's why I'm going to bring it back to skilled professionals, skilled birth workers really can pull this off. Um, I, I did it in the, in the pandemic. It made the six o'clock news, but to be honest with you, that was like a, a wing and a prayer at the time because we were at the height of the pandemic with no, with no uh, vaccine then. So this was really tough. You know, hair was tied up, you know, wrapped up. You know, we were praying that we didn't get COVID even going near a hospital. So there was- Or near each other. You were in the car. We were in the car together. Yeah, we were in the car together. I just could not leave this man alone because he was terrified not being, you know, near his wife and child in, in a situation like that. So there's many things to think about. Your families will hire you for virtual work if the if the spouse is deployed, uh, in the armed services, if they're incarcerated, if they themselves are immunocompromised for cancer treatment, um, if they're out of town for an emergency, if there was a death in the family and they have to go, but you stay behind because you're pregnant and now you go into labor. There's so many scenarios that can come up that will require you to suddenly become a virtual doula. 
So I think what Reve and I are saying here is really hone in on those skills and be prepared because you can pivot yourself into a virtual support in just a matter of, of, of seconds. Absolutely. And this might be, so we talked a little bit earlier about like the aspiring doula and trying to find a way to like do this work. Maybe that is what you do is virtual doula support for the family where the partner and the family are very willing to be very hands-on and very um, interested in having that interaction, but don't necessarily want another person in their space. So I think this yeah. is a, you know, yeah. Even it's just a homework. place where people need continuing education, like solid, solid training. Um, and you know, you may not be anywhere close to the 150 births that like Denise spoke about, but if you actually get formal training, you'll, you can close the gap. They're just things that um, you need to know about, like things, the biggest thing for me that the skills or the experience offers someone is anticipation. Right. If you are, you've experienced enough births in a hospital setting, you can anticipate the action right. that anticipate the need for advocacy. You can anticipate what the next step may be, and you can prepare the family for it. There are right. just some things you can't prepare them for prenatally and you shouldn't. But when you're in it, you're like, ah, I can see what's coming down the pipe. And then you can kind of get them ready so they're not in shock as, you know, conversations are being had, proposals are being made, and action is being taken or decisions have to be made quickly. Um, that's a lot of where your value comes is anticipating the next step for a family. So Right, because you are the lighthouse in this ocean, in this place where this family's trying to steer their boat away from the rocks. You are the lighthouse to really guide them through so they can get there safely with their goals and their baby and their family. So uh, being able to be proactive and being able to, as, as Reve said, pivot and be able to move quickly and anticipate what's going to happen next, that does take skill. And then when you're all done, you can do what I do. You can go in your car and cry and vomit and like, oh my God, I don't believe I did that. That was just so intense. It was so intense. You know, we react later. We don't yeah. react but re we react later. <laughs> yeah. The, in, you know, I just, two things I want to emphasize. One is the continuous part. I think I spoke uh, about it a little bit earlier, but uh, I think people are cheating. <laughs> I think people are like hanging up and calling back and kind of doing a periodic check-in. Right. Uh, I definitely have an opinion about that. I'm like, let's just figure out sometimes we ramp up, right? I might do the check-ins the way I would for early labor anyway. We're not going to constantly be on the phone in early labor. But once we get to active, yeah, I, it, we might be, first of all, I need to see my person. You know, I need to see the birthing person because the way they look, how they sound, all of that really matters. And so we might start off on uh, FaceTime or Google Duo, and then we end up shifting to, because they're maybe transporting to the place of birth, the hospital, the birth center, when we come off video and now we're on, I'm on speaker because I want to hear how close those surges are coming, what kind of sound is being made. Uh, I want to hear the reactions. I want to hear like what people like, just what's happening. Once you get into triage, keep me on speakerphone. Like, right. I'm, I can keep giving tips. I can remind you about where the IV can go and all of that stuff. I don't have to say anything. I'm just there present and listening. And then when we get you, when you actually get to your own space, then we can go back on video, right? We can set up the gooseneck, the little stand and everything, and we kind of get situated. Um, so I think the continuous piece, it can be like very uh, variations of electronic <laughs> connection, um, but it should be pretty consistent because you run the risk of like disconnecting and you miss things. You can miss so many things, so many things that were said. 
now you, you know, maybe the, the staff says something sideways, right? And yeah. you yeah. check in two hours later and your client is like not trusting. You're like, wait, 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 what happened? Now you got to get caught up. So a lot of times those things happen, those microaggressions and the client just keeps it moving. You never hear about it until they actually debrief after the birth. Correct. And Very you're like, oh my God, I wish I had known because what could you have done? You could have called the nurse desk. You could have actually uh, advocated for them to swap out the nurse because they're no longer feeling comfortable. And then they had to do the rest of the birth with somebody they weren't comfortable with. So there are things that you can miss when you are disconnected. So I really encourage folks, if you're doing this, to at least work at continuous support on the virtual side. Absolutely. Absolutely. And okay. So clearly I need to do a class on this. Thank yes. You. Yes. Cause I just want to say one more thing. It's important <laughs> to have those extra phone numbers. If you are doing virtual support, like Reve oh, said, yeah. to have those phone numbers, nurse manager, um, family members, yeah, the partner, the, the, the partner who made it at home with the grandma. Family. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of things you have to have in place so that you are like control center. You're the lighthouse and you've got to have these things in place to empower you to really be, you know, the supportive thing for the families and home birth, uh, virtual doula. Sure. Why not? It, but as, as Reve said, she's going to do a class on this. I, I, I can feel it. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, we, yeah. Clear, I didn't like taught, taught a third of it just here on the podcast, but oh. there's so much more, right? Like people really need to work out their insecurities, their, their concerns, their what ifs, what ifs that, which if you're a new doula, you probably have a lot of that, especially if right. you did your training virtually during the pandemic, Correct. you don't have a lot of in-person experience. And so you don't even know what you don't know, you but don't know, kudos don't to know. those who are giving it the good old fashioned try kudos, because obviously by the research we talked about, it's making a difference. So it is making a difference and you better know your stages of labor when you're jumping into this. Okay. There you go. Okay. I have an alarm going off. So <laughs> I think it's a good sign from the universe that we should sign off. So thank you all. Okay. We, we hope that this was valuable to you. We look forward to you doing the work and giving us feedback. Don't forget, you can email us. You uh, doula that. Uh, doula that podcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. We want to start bringing some people on. We want to hear what your take is, what your feeling is. Join us on our Facebook page, um, which is doula that podcast on Facebook. We also have doula that podcast on Instagram. Follow us, like, send, share, so we can make sure we get the word out. So thank you all. And we hope thank that you, you. Doula, doula that. that. All right. Bye, Bye everybody.